today we're going to do an introduction to God questions. And uh, Bridge Kids, uh, you can take your God questions to Bridge Kids and they'll take care of you there. We're going to be in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 18 this morning. If anybody needs a Bible like this, uh, just slip up your hand and I think our ushers will be glad to get you a Bible if you uh, want a copy of the scriptures. Anybody here read uh, Dan Brown's best-selling novel, The Da Vinci Code? A couple of you? Come on. How many saw the movie? Okay. A few of you? All right. Um, You know, The Da Vinci Code is a well-written mystery. As the story unfolds, it becomes a little bit obvious. Okay. All right. I'm I'm back. I was gone for a minute. (laughs) Uh, I remember reading The Da Vinci Code. It was on a Christmas break. It was the year it came out, and I just couldn't put it down. It just one chapter after another. The story just kept unfolding. I don't like to read on vacation, by the way, because I read all the time, but I couldn't put The Da Vinci Code down. And as the story unfolds, it's obvious that Dan Brown, the author, has kind of a personal axe to grind with Christianity. Brown uses a blend of fiction and history to suggest the church invented the idea that Jesus is God. And um, he asserts that the entire foundation of Christianity is false, which I think is a bit risky, but um, he does. Now, in an interview, he promotes a later book, and uh, he was asked this question, are you religious? And here's what he said. This is a quote. He said, I was raised Episcopalian. I was very religious as a kid. Then in 8th or ninth grade, I studied astronomy, cosmology, and the origins of the universe. I remember saying to a minister, I don't get it. I read a book that said there was an explosion known as the Big Bang. But here it says, God created the heavens and the earth and the animals in seven days. Actually, only six. And then he says, which is right? Unfortunately, the response I got was, nice boys, don't ask that question. A light went off. And I said, the Bible doesn't make sense. Science makes much more sense to me. And I just gravitated away from religion. And uh, so I just, I'm here to say that nice boys can't ask questions. And anybody can ask questions like that. And the Bible will hold up to any question. And so will Christianity. Um, There's certainly a lot of good criticisms of Christianity that are valid. But the Bible will hold up to questions. Um, So, um, today we're going to start with an an introduction to God questions. And it's perfectly good to ask questions. It really is. Uh, Any question is a a good question. But here's the deal. Uh, Don't just stop with the questions. Diligently search for the answer, the answer. A lot of people have questions, and then that's just it. And when it comes to the search, they're just kind of lazy. Some people have, have questions, and they don't search for the answers is because they don't want the answer, because if they got the answer, it might change the way they live. And so some people just avoid. So in the next five weeks, we're going to ask five major questions. And what are God questions? Let's look at that. Number one, what's... 
is God real? You know, is God real or not? So we're going to touch on atheism in that uh, topic. Number two, uh, why choose any faith? I mean, do I need faith? I mean, I, I'm pretty comfortable with just thinking things through myself. You know, reason is good. Number three, how uh, can a good God allow suffering? Is God good? Uh, how, how can he be loving if he allows suffer? Is God, is, uh, God powerful enough to stop suffering? Number four, is the Bible true? Gosh, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like science. It's a lot more answers than the Bible, right? Number five, do all roads lead to heaven? Do all religions lead to God? Um, what about those other religions in the world? So that's what we're going to be talking about in the next five weeks. There are more than five questions. We could do 18 questions if you wanted to. We're just going to do five. We'll think about doing more in the future. But we'll start with these five. And um, so today I want to talk about why this is important for us, why this is important to the church, why this is important to you. And we're going to go to First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 15 uh, through 17, so turn there if uh, you will, and that's on page uh, 841 or 1222, I got here this morning without my Bible, it's like, it's hard when you can't see, you have to have really specific Bibles when your eyes change, they might change. Watch out for that. Um, First of all, the first principle I want us to see from this passage is be ready to share your hope. This is to the church. This is to those who call themselves Christians, those who call themselves followers of Christ. Be ready to share your hope. Um, Maybe you don't have a hope. What what is your hope? Be ready to share hope. Your hope. The Christian has a hope. Those who profess faith in Jesus, those who uh, consider themselves followers of Christ, have a hope. And what is your hope? Let's look at First uh, Peter three verse fifteen, and this is what the Scripture says. Peter says, "This is written in the first century." But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The hope that you have. The hope that you have is something that God has given you. You know that? The hope that you have came from God. The hope that you have came when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Christ. Did you receive that hope? Um, It was given, uh, and it's a result of receiving salvation from Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at this a little bit more in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is Peter. It's the same book that we're looking at in chapter 3, verse 15. Here we go. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's worship. Okay, starts with praise. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. There it is. When you place your faith in Christ, when you were born again, given a new birth... You were given a living living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So when Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised again, demonstrating victory, and with that came a living hope, something beyond the grave, not only for him, but for you, if you're a follower of Christ. 
and into the inheritance that can never perish. This is part of the living hope. An inheritance that can never perish, can never spoil, and it will never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Something for you is ahead if you are a follower of Jesus. A promise that goes beyond the grave. Next slide. Who through faith, if you're a follower of Christ, are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It was something you were given when you placed your faith in Christ. It's a promise to you. It's a hope that you have. It's living. It's not dead. When you get to heaven... It's going to be yours. And when Jesus is revealed at the end of the age, it's going to be fully realized, okay? It's a living hope. The amazing thing is, through the ages, here's the problem is, we hope for all kinds of things. But if you take everything away, what do you have? If you take everything away, what do you have? And down through the ages, Christians have turned to this living hope as the only hope when they've been tortured and persecuted and put to death because they're followers of Jesus. It's beyond the grave. It's, and they could face these things because of a living hope. And it's not a subjective hope. It's an objective hope. Think, it's not, well, I just think it's true. I think it's true. I think it's true. It must be true. That's subjective. No, it's a living hope whether you think it's true or not. It's a living hope whether you believe it or not. Because it's inheritance that God has promised to you who believe. So, be ready to share this uh, living hope. Okay, secondly, verses 15 through 17, how do you share this hope? Peter tells us how to go about this. Verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I like the old NIV that says, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. So first principle is set apart Christ as Lord. Set apart Christ as Lord. Or revere him as I like set apart. And um, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, this is about your relationship with God. Now, just think about this for a second. When you place your faith in Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came to live in you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He is the Spirit of Christ. Christ is in you. Okay? And so you have Christ inside of you. And in your hearts, you need to set apart Christ as Lord. You need to take the time to be intentional about this and just remind him that he's number one, that he's Lord. Uh, he's Lord and I am not. He's the master, I am the servant. And the idea is I just need to intentionally do this. It's not like once in a lifetime I do this. It's kind of like every day. This is how I can be ready. I keep Jesus first. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I worry about my kingdom second. So set apart Christ as Lord. It's about alignment with him. The second one is always be prepared to give an answer to everyone uh, who asks you to give a reason. 
It's about being ready, being prepared. People ever ask you about your faith? The more you live for Christ, the more they notice it. Is there something about you that stands out that they can tell? There's something different about you. You you don't seem to be under your circumstances. You seem to be content with your life. You seem to have a hope. And I don't get it. That's what the non-Christian thinks when they see this person who lives with a hope that goes beyond the grave. It's a kind of hope when people come up to you and they, they want to know, what's different about your marriage? You guys seem to make it, I mean, you're, I, you're not perfect, but you seem to make it go. You seem to have a love no matter what. You seem to face every day in a kind of a positive fashion. What is it about the way you raise your kids? There's something about you, the way you raise your kids is different. There's something about how you behave in the marketplace. There's an integrity about you that... What is it about you that makes you tick? You know, people want to know what it is if they see it. They want to know, why don't you sleep around like everybody else? What makes you different? And they might push you on it to see if you'll bend your boundaries there a little bit. People want to know, what is it? Why? Why do you live this way? Why do you choose that? And Peter says, be ready. I'm going to jump outside of 1 Peter just for a minute, and um, I'm going to go to uh, another passage. And number three, the third principle is devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And the passage is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Now, we've looked at this passage before, but this really applies to what it takes to be ready when people want to know about your hope. When people want to know what makes you different, what makes you tick, why are you a follower of Christ, okay? Paul says, the Apostle Paul in the first century says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You need to pray about certain things, and then you need to pay attention to God for the answer. You need to watch for the answer. If you're praying about people to come to faith around you, watch out for God to set up opportunities for you to speak. Sometimes we pray and we don't pay attention. Watch out for God to answer. If you pray, expect God to answer. Verse 3, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Pray for clarity of the message of the gospel so that we more proclaim the mystery of Christ. That's the message of Christ for which I am in chains. Remember, Paul was a prisoner in Philippi when he wrote this letter. Verse 4, he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul, the apostle... One of the best examples of Christianity we've ever seen on the face of the earth earth asked people to pray for him so that he could communicate the gospel clearly. And I hope you would pray for me too and you need to pray for yourself so that you can communicate the gospel clearly. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. This is crucial. This is so misunderstood by the church. Pay attention to how you behave before the watching world. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, outside of the faith, outside of the church. Let your conversation be always full of grace, gracious communication, not judgmental. That's the number one opinion that unchurched people have about Christians is that they're judgmental. That's the number one. They just, whether it's accurate all the time or not, 
they just come across thinking Christians just always think they're right. They're kind of judgment. They think what I do is wrong. They think they're right, and they feel judged. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer those people who have questions, how to answer everyone. So um, be careful with your speech. Let it be seasoned with salt. Um, one of the reasons we need to pray is because this whole thing is a spiritual, um, it's, a, it's a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual negotiation and you need God to guide you through the whole process of communicating the gospel. And nobody can respond to the gospel unless God opens their heart. Um, so be wise and careful about your uh, speech. The fourth thing, uh, study to find the answer. Some questions you're going to need to study. Study to find the answer. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Second, do you have 2 Timothy? There we go. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. So uh, do your best to present yourself to God. Or New American says, study to show yourselves approved. And so you need to know the scriptures. You need to know the Bible. You need to know what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say. Now, I don't expect you to know this by next week. Give your life to it. Because the way it usually works is, this is how I found, God usually holds you accountable for what you know, not what you don't know yet. So if you study something, there's likely God will bring somebody in your life right then who's interested in what you're studying. Now, sometimes you'll get hard questions you can't answer, and that's okay because you can say, I'm going to look for an answer. Study. So study the scriptures. Now, this is where Christians look silly sometimes because um, they don't know the scriptures. They don't study the scriptures. And this is, this is our book, and people don't study the scriptures, so they don't know what the scriptures say, and they don't know what the scriptures don't say. And so they come up with kind of silly answers sometimes, and sometimes the skeptics know that that's not true, what the Bible says. So uh, study the scriptures, but also consider studying some other books that outside of the Bible. Uh, this whole area where Peter says, be ready to give an answer. New American says, be ready always to give a defense of the hope that is in you. The defense, the word is, uh, the Greek word is apologia. It can refer to a formal defense, like a courtroom defense. The Apostle Paul gave a courtroom offense, uh, defense, not an offense. He probably offended a few people with the gospel. But in Acts chapter uh, 25 and 26, Acts chapter 21, Paul gave a formal defense of the gospel. He, he gave reasons for why he believed. And then there's just informal opportunities to share. So... That's what it means to, to give a defense. Now, there are books today in the area of apologetics. A lot of you are familiar with that. That's an area of theology where we give a defense of our faith. There are a lot of good books written by people who write on apologetics. It is worth your time to study some of those. Um, think in terms of this. God has given the church 
Christian teachers who have the gift of teaching to help you understand. Sometimes they write their teaching down in books. You can learn from a gifted teacher by reading one of their books. Now, not all books are the same, but for example, uh, you're familiar with some of these offers. One of the best apologists alive today is named William William Lane Craig. So you could go online and find out what he's written. Um, Some of you know the name Ravi Zacharias. He's one of the best uh, around. Uh, One of the all-timers is Josh McDowell. And uh, he's written some excellent books. Um, Another one is Mark Middleberg. And then some of you know Lee Strobel. One of our books that we give away is written by Lee Strobel. So those are just a few. There are others. But from time to time, as people ask you questions, looking for answers uh, is really helpful for you. And sometimes if you've read the book, you can recommend one of these books to somebody who has questions. But don't recommend a book you haven't read. So study to find the answer. The fifth principle is guard your attitude. Guard your attitude. Verses 15 and 16, again, um, Peter says, but do this with gentleness and respect. This is 1 Peter 3, verse 15 and 16. Do this with gentleness and respect. How do you defend the faith? With gentleness and respect. Christians don't always do a good job with respecting people who have different views, different lifestyles. Christians often don't do very well. Sometimes Christians come across as being Um, prideful. They come across as thinking arrogant is a better word. They think they they have better lives and that they're right with their answers. And uh, that's really easy to read. People don't feel respected when you come across that way. Uh, Defending the faith is not about winning. It's not competition. It's not about winning the argument, who has the best argument. It's about helping people understand. Understand the the questions that they have. Understand what the scriptures have to say about these things. Um, Verse 16, after doing this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Keeping a clear conscience. You know, we've been talking about this in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 about how important it is that our lives are in order before God and, and uh, we need to deal with our sin and we need to, we need to be cleansed, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin so that we are set apart for God ourselves. And uh, this means about just, just walking with Christ, being in an intimate relationship with Christ, and then we can be a vessel to communicate and represent Christ. So, guard your attitude. Don't be harsh. Some Christians are harsh when they communicate. Don't be a know-it-all. And it's not about winning the argument. It's about helping people understand. So, be ready. Secondly, be clear about the message of hope. Verse 18, be clear about the message of hope. Why do we have hope? Because of verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is one of the most succinct passages in the Bible about the gospel, about the message of hope, 
about the message of salvation. Christ died for our sins once for all, for all. In theology, we call this a substitutionary atonement. Big name. What does it mean? It means Christ died for you. He was your substitute. He took your place. He was your stand-in. You deserve something else. He took it for you. Death. Christ died for you. Think about this for a second. God chose a moment in history where he would take care of the entire sin penalty of the world. And it's when they nailed Jesus to the cross. That was God's plan to take care of all of sin forever. And it's because of who he is that he was able to pay it all. And an infinitely amount more than the penalty. You know, sometimes it'd just be fun if you had to get our math majors here and get the calculators out. Okay, how big is the sin penalty? And let's just put a value on everybody's sin. You know, how much do you want? You know, we'll just, everybody here has an amount that if they had to pay for, you know, Jesus died, how much did he have to pay for you? And the point being, we could add up everybody in this room and everybody in Eau Claire and everybody in Wisconsin and everybody in the U.S. and everybody in the world. And now we can go back to the beginning of time and add it all up. And you know what? It would be a, and how about the people who haven't been born yet? Okay, let's add them in. The sin penalty is finite. There will be a limit. And Jesus' life had an unlimited value. He was infinitely valuable. He is God. The penalty is paid for. That's what the substitutionary atonement is all about. Once for all. It doesn't have to be done over and over and over and over. Once for all. The Apostle Paul in the first century puts it this way in Romans 5.8. He says, Christ, let's go Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, there it is, substitutionary atonement. Christ died for us. It was because of his love. He loved us so much. He would send his son. He loved us so much that he allowed Jesus to die for us. He loves you so much. Jesus died for you. You have to make it personal. It's He loved you. He knows your name. I couldn't do this. You've heard my story before, but when I was growing up and I heard John 3.16, I, I heard about the Bible, I just thought he died for the world. I didn't know he died for me. And you can laugh at that, okay? I just thought it was like the globe, I didn't know he knew me, and he knew my name, and he knew all about me, and knew my thought life. He died for my sins. He knows all my sins. I didn't know that. And then, oh, I get it. It's me. It's me and God. Oh, I could say God and me. He's first. Christ died for us because of his love. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. You've heard me use this passage a few times. This is the Apostle Paul to the first century church. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. So here it is. It's definite article, the gospel. There's no other gospel. There aren't parts. It's the gospel right here. The gospel I preached to you, what you received and what you have taken your stand by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Next passage, next slide. 
For what I've received, I pass on to you as of first, report, uh, first importance. So like how important? It's like there's no, nothing more important than this. First importance? That Christ died for our sins. You starting to get, starting to get the message here? Christ died for our sins. It's substitutionary atonement. This is the main message of the Bible. This is if you want to reduce the Bible to one little phrase here. It's Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The reason they buried him is because he was dead. It, it proved his death. The people who executed him realized he was dead. They put him in the grave. And then he... Uh, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He said he would raise on the, be raised on the third day. And he, and he did this to demonstrate victory over death, victory over sin, and victory over the power of the devil. So why did Jesus die for you and me? Verse 18, for Christ died for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Why did he die? To bring you to God. To bring me to God. That's the desire of his heart. Is for you to be in a relationship with God. And if you are already in a relationship with God, the desire of his heart is to use you to bring others into a relationship with him. To share the message to help answer questions that people have. So, the gospel is good news. Why is it good news? Why is it so important? Because of our situation, because of our need. What is our need? I'm going to walk through several passages here, um, and I'm going to clarify a couple of things. What is our need? Romans 3.23. It's so basic. Some of you are going to shut down because I already know that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is our current situation. The Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of God's standards. All of us, or none of us, measure up to God's standards. What are God's standards? Matthew 5.48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, if 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 you do that, you'll be okay. You don't need to believe in Jesus. But... The scripture says, all sinned, all of us, every person, and that's our situation. Isaiah 53, 6, go back 800 years before the birth of Christ. This is a great passage. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We're like animals. We, we drift off. We're not perfect. Each of us has turned to our own way. We tend to be selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed and self-focused. I think selfish too. And here's the gospel. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel. Christ died for us. 800 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah was speaking of Jesus right here. And the Lord has laid on him. Jesus is the him. The iniquity of us all. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the Bible says we're sinners, this is our situation, this is our need, and we, we need to understand that there are consequences that go with that, and it's death. But it's not physical death, it's spiritual death. 
It's about separation from God for an eternity. Jesus called this hell, to be separated from God for an eternity. So the wage of sin is death, but good news, there's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, eight centuries before the birth of Christ, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. It isn't that God doesn't have the power to save. He can. Can you, can you, can you believe that? Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. I mean, he doesn't have any problem with his hearing, does he? I mean, if you pray, he could hear, right? If you pr- okay. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Problem is, is sin becomes a barrier between us and God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. And uh, so left on our own, our sin keeps us from God. It puts up a barrier f- from God unless we decide to change that. And uh, we're separated. And we're separated for an eternity. What is our responsibility? Thank you for asking. I knew you would get to this question. If my sin separates me from God, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? That's the exact um, question that the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas in Philippi, Acts 16.31. They replied, Paul and Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That's it. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. That was the message. You will be saved. If your household believes, they will be saved too. Um, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a, next, next uh, right underneath this. You don't have that. Okay. Uh, believe in the, in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Uh, believe means to uh, trust. It means to have faith. It means to rely on Christ. Uh, It means to take God at his word. It means to count on him and what he's done. It means to be personal with God. John 3.16, next one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There it is again. It was because of love. He loved you. Put your name in there. So loved the world. He so loved Jerry Kellen. You put your name in there. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever, put your name in there believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Is that true? Do you believe that? Is that a promise? Or is that like for other people, everybody but you? I always had a hard time at first thinking God's promises referred to me. I could see, well, they probably refer to Sue because, you know, she gets it. But why would they refer to me? Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. So we're coming back to this issue of faith. That's how you get saved. It's by faith. It's about believing that message. Christ died for our sins. It is by grace you've been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. I don't deserve it. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. So it's not like... Do I have enough good works to get to heaven? Because I'll never have enough good works, and good works are never even going to count. It's only by grace through faith. Last question. Well, it's just one of the last questions. What if we choose not to believe in Jesus who died for us? What if that's your choice? You don't want to believe in Jesus. Okay, just a couple things you need to know. John three thirty six. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Well, we've already gotten that. We know that. If you believe, you have eternal life. And that's present tense. That means right now. It doesn't mean when you die. It means now. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. There's a judgment coming, and if you do nothing about it, you need to understand. I don't say this to scare you. It's not a scare attack. I just want you to see the reality of what the Scripture says. Okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He, that is God, will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. What is the, what is the gospel? Christ died for our sins. Those who don't obey the gospel, they will be punished with everlasting destruction. That's like a long time. And shut out from the presence of the Lord. That's eternal separation. And from the glory of his might. And we just need to understand that. So here's the question. Church, why do we exist? Why do we exist? Answer, to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. So we need to be ready to answer questions. We need to help people connect with God. That's our responsibility as a church is to help people connect with God. In 2007, a survey reported that 82% of unchurched people would go to church if they, with a friend if they were invited. 82% of unchurched people would go to church with a friend if they were invited. The same study revealed that only 21% of Christians who go to church would invite somebody who doesn't go to church. We've got a little mathematical problem there. Um, here's the last question. What if you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Christ and you'd like to? I'd just like to take a minute and uh, remind you and give you an opportunity if you'd like to place your faith in Christ. So what have we said to remind you? One, you need to understand all of us are sinners. Probably means you too. Are you okay with what the Bible says that we've all sinned? Secondly, there are consequences. The wages of sin is death. You need to know that. And it's ultimately eternal separation from God. Thirdly, you need to... uh, Know that Jesus died for you. God loves you so much, he sent his son, and Jesus died for you. He took your place, he took your penalty, he took your punishment. And the last thing is, God says, if you believe in Jesus, you don't have to face the sin penalty. You can be saved from the sin penalty if you trust Jesus and begin a relationship with him. He is God, he is Lord. And he wants to lead your life and show you the way and show you how to live. So I'm going to close with a prayer. And uh, if you've never placed your faith in Christ before, you could pray this prayer with me and place your faith in Christ. Because prayer is just an expression of faith. You have to have faith to trust Jesus. And a prayer is just a way to express that, that you want to. So I'm going to do the prayer two times, and I'm going to, first I just want you to think about the prayer because I, I want you to understand what we're asking you to pray. 
I don't, 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 want, you to, I don't want you to feel manipulated. And then the second time, we'll go through, and, and you can pray it from your heart. We'll just all bow our heads, and you can do this silently if you want to. But here's the prayer. And so the first time, uh, just everybody look at me. The prayer is like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. I trust him right now um, to pay for my sin penalty, and I invite him into my life. And I want to ask Jesus to lead me and help me to be the person he wants me to be. That's it. You can do it that simply. Okay. Let's all bow our heads together. And I'm going to just pray this a second time. And if that prayer made sense to you and you've never placed your faith in Christ, just pray silently from your heart with me. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus Christ died for me. I trust him right now. And right now, I just want to ask him to lead my life from this day forward. I ask him to help me to be the kind of person that he wants me to be. And it's just that simple. If you prayed uh, that prayer with me, everybody's head still bowed, nobody's looking around. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand so I could see your hand? If you prayed along with me. Thank you. Father in heaven, um, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the message and the hope we have of salvation. Thank you for those who prayed with me this morning. May they know their sins are forgiven. May they know that you have come to live with them and that they have eternal life. Father, for all of us this morning, may we not take this lightly, the message to be ready to give answers. Thank you, Father, uh, for the hope that we have. May we be reminded that our business is about life and death. And our job is to communicate that to our world and to give them hope for Jesus' sake.